0: If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. We're going to be starting our study in Philippians chapter four in just one moment. Philippians chapter four. It's good to see everyone out this morning. It's good, very good to be here. I'm particularly excited because both Paige and Hawk are able to be here, and uh, I've been. Long awaiting for Hawk to be able to experience, though he won't remember it in the future, but experience uh, the very first worship service that he was ever a part of. So uh, that's just been it's it's meant a lot to me just being here with you all and uh, just hearing everyone uh, in as we sing praises to God. It's a beautiful thing and uh, not something that we should take for granted. Um. If you, uh, again, want to turn to the Philippians chapter 4, I want to really begin uh, really just with one thought of, of many thoughts uh, that I've been having recently. And that's specifically on just the, the notion of, of deep thought, really con- deep consideration for the things that we are doing. Why are we doing These things. Uh, What's the purpose? Why do we? um, uh, Why do we make the decisions that we do? Why do we do the actions that we do? Uh, And and the reason for that is because I I really, truly believe that we are that we just live in a culture that does not want anything to do with um, with with really just thinking deeply about anything. Uh, It's we were just, I was talking, um, uh, we were, me and Brother Danny were in a study uh, not too long ago. And one of the things that he mentioned that I just thought was just right on the money is that you, you ask a question just about, um, you know, speaking of eternity. So You ask someone, where, where do you think that you would spend eternity at this moment in your life if you were to meet God right now? And a lot of the time what happens is people don't even want to answer. Or, or maybe they give just a tiny, like two words for an answer, and then they move on immediately to something else. Well, I don't know about that. But hey, did you see the game last week? People don't really want to think deeply about much, especially about things that matter. Um, now that is, is uh, we all understand that. The thing about it is, though, I think that even a lot of Christians tend to do this. We tend to, um, for whatever reason, whether it come to modesty or it come to something like shame, something that the, the world has a completely different definition than God does. Uh, there are certain things that I think we can easily overlook that I want to make sure we, we don't overlook. And so, again, this is... Really just the first thought of many that I've been having lately about things that I think we we can put more consideration on, meditate further on. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 8, Paul says, this is right after he talks about not being anxious and, and giving everything to God, that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. First of all, the the main thing I want to focus on this morning is that notion of dwelling on those things. Not Not just taking a moment, oh, that's interesting, and moving on and not letting it go anywhere deeper than the surface. But just think about what he says to dwell on. That's a bit of a lengthy list. And even there, I'm not sure that it's necessarily exhaustive. What do you think the purpose is here that Paul is trying to to, to get across to these Christians uh, at Philippi, the church at Philippi? I think one of the things that he's trying to get across is you need to to dwell on, you need to meditate on, you need to uh, consistently think about Anything that brings you closer to God. You need to be focusing on that which deepens your relationship with God. And again, not just coming to the Bible, doing our daily Bible reading, maybe just reading one chapter a day and then, uh, you know, not thinking about it all afterwards. One of the main exercises that we need to implement with our Bible reading is thinking afterwards about what we've read. I know we hate the term because this is what we always heard at school, but, you know, reading comprehension. Absolutely hated that in school. The thing is, you can hate it with all other books. This is a book that's too important to not comprehend. And the thing about it is, God has made it so clear; it's not that hard to comprehend. He's made it clear enough so that even uh, that even the the uh, younger minds can understand. That even old stubborn minds can understand. Um, and so, I want to just think about this for a few moments this morning. The, Just considering things that are holy, considering things that should bring us closer to God. And I would just say, this is something that Paul is, with the full force of an apostle, telling these Christians that they must do. I think sometimes we look at maybe a verse like this and we think, well, that's just a lesser commandment that we can maybe just overlook. It's not as important as some of these other ones. Well, certainly you have... (laughs) Uh, throughout the New Testament, Old Testament as well, talked about the, the two greatest commandments. But under all of those, all of these other commandments fall under. And I don't want to just look at something that Paul says will be a benefit, great value to a Christian, and just overlook it. I really want to take time to think about this. And so, uh, just two points this morning, and the first of which being that this notion is not new to the New Testament, to, to, to the New Covenant, to Christians. This is something that God has expected from His people from the very beginning. If you want to go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. As, as Moses is re, uh, re, uh, retelling the law, he's going over the covenant once more with the people of Israel. Look at what he says in verse 6 about this law. He says... These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this is one of my favorite passages, and I, I like to go to this uh, frequently, and one of the reasons is because even if you just read verse 6, when he says, this shall be on your heart, does that sound like it's something that it's just, oh, okay, well, we've read it, we've, we've even said it out loud, that's enough, I don't have to think about it for the rest of the day. If something's on your heart, you don't forget about it. If something's on your heart, you actively make sure that it stays on your mind, and um, uh, and, and you know, I think this is easier maybe with certain hobbies that we can take up at times. Uh, I won't even talk about just relationships, but I, I know a lot of people. There is <laughs> there was a, a a young boy at uh Buckhorn where me and Paige were before we came here. Uh there's he's just he was a sports fanatic. And it was insane the mind he had when it <laughs> came to sports. He could tell you um, what, what, a you know, Alabama, the, the college football team, what, what, what they scored in like 1989. (laughs) And, and he could tell you the team that they were playing. Now that, that is, again, that's, that's a hobby, you know, trying to learn more about sports, following sports that deeply. But, but I think you can see the point, even with something like that, you don't remember that kind of detail. You don't, remember those facts unless it's something that you dwell on unless it's something that you do more than just read in a biography or or uh you know uh encyclopedia and just say that's interesting and then never think about it again that's something that he does frequently um and so when it comes to god's words when it comes to his will that means, in the same way, it's something that we have to come to back to frequently. It's something that we have to actively make sure that it does not leave our minds. That it stays on our heart. Over in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 8, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Joshua chapter 1 in verse 8. This is before they take the promised land. He's, he's trying to tell them to be strong and courageous. Um... And and God is speaking to Joshua even in verse eight, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. First of all, I think we understand what that means when he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But again, I, I think we look at it the same way we can look at other commandments, like we were just talking about in Philippians chapter four. Well, that's, that's one of many. And so, you know what, I'm going to focus on these other ones. If it's a commandment from God, then we need to look at it and appreciate it. Not just obey it, but appreciate the value in it um, and the benefit that it brings to us. So, not only does it d- denote the the intense uh, consideration when he says, don't let it depart from your mouth. But then he says, meditate on it day and night. This is a notion that comes up frequently throughout the Psalms. The notion of... of of, of coming to God and, and in prayer, thinking about his ordinances, and, and, and just waiting for the night watches. Over, over in Psalm 119, I believe it is, Psalm 119, in verse 148. Psalm 119, in verse 148. Actually, we'll start in verse 40, 147 because it, it kind of says something similar to what we just read. He says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches to do what? That I may met, that I may meditate on your word. And this is, again, something that you find frequently throughout the Psalms. The notion that that not only are they going to meditate on it day and night, but that they rise early in the morning to do so. And when you rise early in the morning... You don't rise early in the morning for something that's not important. <laughs> we try to stay in bed as long as possible. But when you get up early, there's a reason for it. It's because I got to do something. It's because there's something of importance to me that I, that I, need, to, uh, that I need to be a part of or an act. Not only that, but they even will talk about late in the evening, late into the night. I cry before you, or I try to put my cry before you. And they go to him in prayer, and they talk about uh, dwelling on his word over and over again. You see the same thing in Psalm 1. What does the righteous man do? He dwells on his word day and night. Um, and so I think that's something that we need to that we really need to try and apply in our own lives. That this is, this is supposed to be a relentless focus. It's not supposed to be something we just let go of. Ever, I truly believe God when He says that His desire is for His people to remember it and not let it leave their minds. The question is, do we believe it when we read that? And so that's one thing that I wanted to consider uh, as we make this point. But the next, if you go over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. And again, this is another uh, passage that, that you all know. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge But fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. So there's two uh, interesting notes to be made there in in verse 7. But as you look, especially throughout the wisdom of of, of God, when you look throughout the Proverbs, it begins by talking about what wisdom is, what knowledge is, and that starts with the fear of the Lord, of having a proper reverence of the Creator and our place before Him and our relationship with Him. But, but as you go throughout the Proverbs and as you go throughout this, uh, deeper into this wisdom, it, as it starts there, you see that it, it goes uh, onward. In, in chapter 4, he says something somewhat similar. But in chapter 4 and verse 7 beginning, it says, The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. This is uh, one of the passages, this in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23, that's actually brought up in, in the first article in the back there in the bulletin. The, the reason I, I put that up there was because I thought it was very helpful to what we're trying to discuss this morning. It, Brother Moyer, it, it's titled A Heart of Wisdom. And I think it's absolutely necessary to, to do uh, some of the things that he talks about as he goes through some of these Proverbs, like tr- Proverbs chapter 4. We need to be about the business of acquiring wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not just scholarly intellect like the rest of the world wants, but true wisdom, true knowledge that only comes from the mind of God. That's what we need to be seeking for. That's what we should desire to acquire more of. It is wisdom to acquire, just, just to just start seeking wisdom as the, the proverb says. But it can't just be, again, as we've said over and over again, it can't just be that we go to it once to make a point, maybe just because we're trying to make a point in, in a study and or just make a point with a specific person that we're trying to talk to or convince, and then we never go to it again. It's good to make those points, but we need to first make it in our own hearts, in our own lives, before, before we ever try to impress it on others. And so acquire wisdom is what... Uh, God's wisdom the the knowledge of God makes clear to us that this should be an endeavor that we never stop trying to do trying to to get that knowledge that brings us closer to him again that knowledge that only comes from the mind of God over in Proverbs chapter 9 in verse 10 it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom something we've read over and over and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding That, that word understanding you don't understand something without taking time to understand it you don't come to an understanding of taxes unless you have taken the time to read through the many tax codes that are, are directly correlated with your circumstance even with taxes though it tends to not make any sense because because again that's carnal that's worldly wisdom but it's not so with God's with God's wisdom it never contradicts with God's wisdom it only ever benefits. But you don't ever come to an understand, a true understanding until you take that level of, of effort and time to uh, actually impress these words, impress this will into our minds and our hearts. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119 in verse 11. Your, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know what that means? I think at least in, to one degree what it means is if you don't impress that word in your heart, if it's not in your heart, you're not going to be able To deal with the temptations that the devil tries to throw at you. If you don't try to appreciate his will. There's no chance that you can overcome the burden that the devil throws at you. It can only come through what God grants us. The revelation that God has given to us. Proverbs 23 and verse 23. Again, you see that in the article that Brother Moyer writes. But it just talks about you need to buy wisdom. Actually spend the money. If it costs you something, it's a a good cost. That it's wonderful if you can just buy wisdom and keep it, but never sell it. Don't let it go away. Don't let it out of your hands. Well, so we need to be seeking whatever it is that will bring us closer to God. Anything that is of value, I think like Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is right. Everything that brings us closer to God, that is what we must seek more and more in our daily lives. But not only that, I think his consideration should, should overcome our own, but also it should be, it, it should be our sole navigator. Um, it, again, in Psalm 119, just a couple of verses here. Psalm 119. I love this psalm because it talks so much about the beauty of God's word, the, the help that is God's word and, and for his servants. But in Psalm 119 in verse uh, 105, Psalm 119 in verse 105, it says, "Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path." Oh, that's beautiful poetry. That's beautiful words, and uh, we could sing those words over and over again, <laughs> and we could, and it is beautiful. But it's not just for you know musing our our. Uh, uh, it's not just for musing our our uh, <laughs> fix for poetry every now and then or now and again. I really believe that this is supposed to be taken legitimately. I think about um, Israel. When they were led out of Egypt, uh, when God provided this exodus out of Egypt from their bondage and chains, how did he guide them? He guided them with the cloud and with the pillar of fire by night. And and I just think, especially back then, there was no technology like we have today that it was so easily accessible to get a light. You can just reach into your pocket. Your phone provides light. They didn't have that capability. Now, certainly they could, you know, light a torch. But even then, it was still limited. But you have God being the literal light. He is providing the way. He's providing the sight to walk forward. That's, that's the kind of example that I want to think about when, when we read a verse like Psalm 119 in, in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It truly is a guide. And that is the only guide that I am w- willing to take. That's the only guide that God wants us to take. He wants us to consider his will and consider his word as that sole navigator in our lives. In verse 24 of Psalm 119, it says, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors, the New American Standard puts it. I love that notion. That when I seek for wisdom, when I seek for guidance, when I, uh, we, I think we all have people, very specific people that we go to for very specific reasons when something comes up and we are just trying to figure out what we need to do. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it could be if the very first counselor we went to was God. Not to say that we can't go to people that we trust and that we know are wise specifically because they have been informed by the scriptures. But what a beautiful thing it is when we come to the point in our relationship with God, when we go to him first and foremost. And even after we get all the insight from others, we come back here to make sure that that it all aligns with his will. This is my counselor. This is my guide. And this is the only one that I, I can really afford. Because there's all kinds of people just within our world today that will say, oh, trust me, I have a path for you. Trust me, I think you can get out of the consequences here. But God says... I am the way. Jesus says, I am the path. I am the truth. I am the life. No one else. No one else can provide that. And so we need, I go through all this just to say, we need to look at the word of God revealed to us in the way that he presents it to us. We can't just look at it and say, oh, aren't these beautiful platitudes? They're so much more than just empty truisms. They are our very way of getting through life. And so all this just to say, I, I think that all of this is expected. All of these are requirements, even for God's children today. We already read Philippians chapter four and verse eight, but over in Colossians. <clears throat> Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse 16. Colossians three in verse 16. Paul says, "Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you." And we already talked about what that means to dwell. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankful- thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. We bring this verse up all the time, and it's for good reason. Because we, tr- at least we're supposed to truly believe it. I don't want to ever come away with the notion when we have have been informed by by the revelation that God has given to us. I don't ever want to come away with the notion that I can make any decision outside of of his instruction, that I can come to a conclusion on anything outside of of his will. And really that's what brings us to the next point. I think a a godly mindset begins with that notion that we just read in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Our decisions should never be made without biblical reasoning. Now there are many people who would hear something like that and say, oh well, that's just ridiculous. You, you, you really think that we're supposed to have a, a biblical reason for any, everything that we do? Well, let's rephrase, rephrase the question for just a second. Are you suggesting that we can do even one thing, Without the will of God affirming it? Are you saying, are you suggesting that we could do could do anything outside that that falls outside of God's instruction and counsel? I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to go against what godly wisdom says. Now, there may be all kinds of people, a whole world of people telling us the opposite, telling us differently, but that doesn't change the fact of what God has said. And so I think this is really where the application comes into play. I think sometimes Christians can can think about something like that, think about a verse like that, and, and, and I don't think people tend to just go full sail against that, but I do think that people sometimes essentially just to a degree think ignorance is bliss. Well... This doesn't seem like it would be that big of a deal. It doesn't seem like it would cause that much ruckus. So let's just go ahead and do it. I don't even think that we want to be going down that route. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17. Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 17. It says, so this I say, Paul speaking, and I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greed, with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. And so what I wanted to come here because what you find is outside of God, what, that is ignorance, Unless you have the revelation of God giving you that guidance, what you're acting on is your own wisdom. And as we already saw in the period of the judges, that's not good enough. They did what was right in their, in their own sight. They did what was right in their own eyes. And guess where that ended? They fully performed the deeds that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for. That's what happens when you abandon God as your counsel and abandon God as your guidance. It leads you to that kind of depravity. And and so we can't be willing to act on that kind of ignorance. And what I mean by that, again, is acting at all outside of God's instruction and his revealed will. And he even mentions it more than this, that they are darkened in their understanding because they don't have that. they, They don't heed the instruction of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. I think at times the reason that we stay in that kind of mindset of, well, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, so who cares? Ignorance is bliss. I think the reason sometimes we stay there is because of some stubbornness. Because a lot of – it's just like when we try to talk to people about Jesus as we're trying to, to evangelize to them. A lot of times people want to divert the conversation. So you bring something up like modesty. and someone And someone says – well, yeah, the Bible talks about modesty, but you know what? It also talks about it also talks about um, making sure that we don't lust after people in our own heart. And it's like, yeah, it does. But right now, the needed conversation is you need to cover up. But a lot of times, people don't want to have that conversation. And, and, and you know what? We just have a different difference of opinion. And you know what? Maybe there will be different judgment calls. But when we're talking about the lines that God has drawn, we need to stick to those lines. And we don't get to just say, oh, you know what, just, uh, you know, I, I know it probably says something about that, but I just don't have the time to look at that. Well, you better make the time, because we're talking about words of eternal life here. And it's not worth it to just say, oh, we're just going to all, forget all that. There's a book that I really like, and many of you probably really like as well. It's called The, the Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis wrote this book, and he, he was—the <laughs> premise of the book is you have— um, demons uh, 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 there's a demon named Screwtape and he's writing to his nephew Wormwood and basically what they're writing about is how to deceive and trick and tempt this specific man that Wormwood has been tasked with trying to bring over from the light from from God's side essentially and into their own captive army into basically dragging him into hell. And as he's, there's an excerpt from this book that I just wanted to share with you that I thought was just right on the nose. As he's talking about the, how uh, you can just wean away from these bigger sins. When someone gets habitually uh, in the rhythm of a certain sin, what they're doing is getting a habit of acting outside of God's law. Acting outside of God's instruction and His counsel. And he said, you don't have to continue to do that. Um, and, and this is uh, where he picks up. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. And again, this is supposed to be from the perception of demons, so the enemy is is God in their perspective. And he continues, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I thought that that was really striking. Because what is he saying? No matter what this sin is, it, it is the gradual one that tends to be the most deceptive. Because it's the gradual one that we don't see as clearly. And I, and, I, and I bring this up just to say, I think it is a gradual drifting away whenever we think, whenever we're comfortable with making a decision, coming to a conclusion that hasn't been informed by God's word. And so we need to be careful of that kind of drifting away because it is the gradual drifting away that can still lead to uh, eternal damnation. Well, over in Romans chapter 12, what this calls for then is not just thinking like the world thinks, but thinking the way God does. In verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So first of all, obviously, we're not to be conformed to the world. But when he says that you need to have a uh, be transformed in the renewal of your mind, I don't think he's just saying, well, you know, you just need to adjust a few things and, and, you know, maybe a couple things can be brought into this kingdom. It's just like with repentance. You don't get to bring the old habits, the old actions, the old thoughts, the old heart into this kingdom. You've got to be willing to let all those things go. And so in the same way, when it comes to how we should think th- uh, through the lens of God, we don't get to bring the wisdom of the world into this because then we're still thinking like the world. God thinks completely differently. The world hates the wisdom of God. They look at the wisdom of God as foolishness. And so we need to be careful of that kind of thinking. Our thinking, our, our consideration must be transformed. And in fact, that word transformed, it's actually used in Matthew chapter 17 it's translated as transfigured. It's the same Greek word. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because when Jesus is transfigured, there is a complete physical change. He does not look the same physically. And the reason I think that's important to note is because the same word is used when it comes to our thinking. And so what that means is Essentially, it's not just a different kind of thinking from the world, but completely separating from the world and the way that they think. So you delete everything you think you know about how to deal with this situation. Delete it all and come fresh to what God has to say about the situation. And I think that's just as important as well. But finally, as, as, just as we've been saying uh, throughout the lesson, I think all of our conclusions that, that we That we come to. That are forced. I think all the decisions that we make. All the opinions that we form. Need to ultimately be formed through the lens of Christ. Uh, One last passage in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. In verse 20. Paul says I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. I would just ask, when it comes to modesty, who makes the decisions? Is, is it Luke, or is it Christ who lives in me? Because Luke was supposed to be crucified long ago. When, when, when someone asks about even something like eating, which is apparently something that uh, was a cause of divisiveness in the New Testament, in the first century, who, who's going to make the ultimate decision? Is, is, is it Luke Caps? Is it is Is it you? Who's going to say, I get to do what I want to do because that's my liberty and they're just going to have they're just to, have to deal with it. Or are we letting Jesus answer that question for us? I'm willing to let that go for the good of the brother, for the good of the sister. And it's not just things like that. Any, anything. Who is making the decision? Is it Christ in me or is it really the old man that should have been put to death a long, long, long time ago? And I think we really need to ask ourselves that Uh, Honestly, it's so easy to just act like, you know what, I don't really have to think about this. We, We talk about it every now and then in Bible class. I think that does enough. No real application needs to be made in my life. Well, just to be honest, that's what a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ, even in the first century, thought they could do. They thought that they could just ignore certain things. But then you see Jesus rebuking people like the Pharisees. And he says, you need to to reevaluate. You need to leave behind some of the the tendencies and the actions and the mindset that you have right now. Because if you continue to do this, even those, as he says in Matthew chapter 7, even people who would perform miracles, they deceive themselves because they don't know the Lord. And so uh, we just need to ask ourselves, are we going down that same path? So Christian... If you are a Christian, maybe we've been going through this the lesson this morning and you think, I, I feel like I am one of the immature Christians. One of the people that aren't seeking for that which is wise, but only seeking for, as, as we mentioned in the, the bulletin this morning, only seeking for, okay, but is it wrong? Is it a sin? Is it or isn't it not? The problem with that is what we're trying to do is get as close to the edge as possible. Whereas those who ask not only... Okay, is it a sin, but is it wise? That's Christian maturity. That is what we are striving for. Do we have that kind of maturity, or are we immature? It may be, like we said in Ephesians chapter 4, that we just need to get rid of a hard heart. And what that takes is, you need to bring that hard heart to the Word of God. That's the only thing that can break it. Nothing else but the very words of eternal life. And so are you willing to maybe start a study with someone? Are you willing to go to someone that could potentially help you in that? I know that there are brothers and sisters here that would love to help you in that. If you're not a Christian, maybe you feel like you would love to be uh, a part of that spiritually mature. Let me just tell you, you can't ever get there unless you start the process by becoming a Christian. Have you? joined in a relationship with God have you repented of everything that Jesus has told you you need to let go of have you confessed that he's the son of the living God are you willing to leave behind everything and take on all the responsibilities that he says that is for you the burden that he gives to you are you willing to be baptized into his death to rise in newness of his life you can have that this morning you can start that process to spiritual to, to Christian maturity the way Jesus wants us to look no matter who you are. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.